You're listening to Mission 316, bringing you closer to the Word. And for today's message. Lord's put it on my heart to speak on the topic, the spiritual depression. Spiritual depression. I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 with me, if you will, please. 1 Kings chapter 19, and then we're going to pray. Now, Father God, in Jesus' name, you yourself, Lord, stood in the pulpit, and you said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He sent me to preach good tidings to those that are poor in spirit. He sent me to open prison doors to those that are bound, to heal those that are oppressed. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for the anointing this day in this sanctuary. I thank you for the delivering power of the Word of God. I thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you will use this Word today as a key and you will unlock any prison that the enemy has tried to cast any saint of God into. Lord, you'll shine light into darkened places, into wrong thinking. God, you will pull your people, those who need a touch of heaven out of despair and bring everyone back in to the light and the life that you offer through Jesus Christ. I yield my body to you, God, and I ask you to overshadow my frailty. Speak through me, speak to every heart, to those that are listening on the internet, to those who will listen in the future. I pray, God, that you would always use this word to deliver those whom the enemy would try to oppress, especially in this time we're living in. I thank you for it, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Now, when I talk about spiritual depression, I'm not talking about clinical depression or physiological depression or depression that can come as a result of sin, even. And those things can happen, or failure. But I'm talking about depression that comes to those who love God. You do love Him with all your heart. You want to serve Him. You, you try as best as you can to have an honest heart, an honest walk with God, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, you find this, this hole opening up around you and before you. It's a place of darkness. It's a place of despair. As a matter of fact, it's not a strange thing. You might think it is a strange thing, and the enemy will try to convince you you're the only one that ever goes through this kind of a thing. But you'll find some of the choicest servants of God have had to suffer this type of valley of the shadow of death from time to time. You're not abnormal because you're going through this. As a matter of fact, quite often it's because you have a tender heart to God that you will endure this. You remember when Jerusalem was about to be judged of God, the Lord said, the Lord showed Ezekiel that he sent uh, an, an angelic messenger to put a mark on those who sigh and cry for all the abominations that were being done in the nation. If you love God, the things that didn't bother you before will bother you now. The way people speak, the way they act, the way you can see evil coming in like a flood, it can cause a discouragement, even a despair in the hearts of even the godliest of people. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. 
And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there lay by his head a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the Mount of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a small, still voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hezael as king over Syria. You shall also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now, this historical account is about spiritual depression. As I said earlier, it's something that can happen to the godliest among us who've been involved in the work of God. It can happen suddenly. It can happen without warning. It can also be gradual. It can afflict those whose hearts are tender and passionate for truth and who long for a return to right living in their society. Do you find yourself longing for that? Do you find yourself vexed if you should be reading the news and hearing the way people are speaking and just the, the, the lunacy of our moment that we're now living in, the vilification of truth, the, the, 
the lifting up and exalting of ungodliness and the casting down of that which you know to be right and to be true. If you have a tender heart towards God, if you want to see Christ exalted in this generation, it, it can cause your heart to begin to tremble. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, Jesus said in the last days, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness is abounding in our generation. Lawlessness everywhere. Everybody, nobody wants to be under authority. Nobody wants to, of course, when you've cast off the governance of God, then every, it, it follows suit that you'll cast off every authority around you. And the, the lunacy of what's going on, even in our colleges in this generation, is mind-boggling. And when you look at it every day, you can end up losing this love. The love of many will grow cold. You can, you can, the love of hope can begin to fade in your heart. The, the love of your calling in the body of Christ can begin to grow dim. The, the love of people can become, realistically, that's what we're all about as the body of Jesus Christ. It's, it's about a testimony of God's love for people through us. And that love can grow cold as, as we see society itself just caving into this increasing evil. And ultimately, the love of life itself. Have you ever found yourself praying, God, just please take me home? Come on, be honest with me this morning. You ever, you ever found yourself, Lord, if I should die when I sleep, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm going to be home with you forever. Lord, you'll you look after the people. You ever gotten to the place where you, you just would rather, Paul, the apostle said, I have a desire to depart, but to remain with you is more needful for my life at this point. In chapter 19, verse 3 of 1 Kings, when depression hit, the first thing that Elijah did was to abandon that which would, had been given to comfort and strengthen him. It says in verse 3, it says, when he saw that, he rose, he ran for his life, he went to Beersheba and left his servant there. I thought that was very interesting. It's like the believer in Christ who beginning to suffer depression stops coming to church and abandons those of us who have been sent to comfort him. That's what a servant was all about. The servant was there to, to help meet his needs, to encourage him in his journey, to be there as a companion because nobody can do this alone. God help you if you're trying to do it alone. None of us can. I'm assuming you're not because that's why you're probably here this morning. But when you begin to suffer from spiritual depression, beware lest you cast off the very people that God has put around you to help you, to comfort you, to be with you. Don't try to walk through this valley alone. That's one of the worst mistakes you can make. Don't do that. Don't, don't try to isolate yourself. In verse 4, it says he went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, and began to pray that he might die. He said, it's enough, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. In other words, I had a high expectation of my life. I had a high expectation of how my life would impact the culture and impact the future of many. And it seems like instead of me pushing darkness back, darkness is pushing me back. And when I thought I would stand, I found out I didn't have the strength to stand. And he, he traveled into a deeper, into a sense of hopelessness, and he began to lose the will to live. He began to lose a sense of identity, a sense of purpose. Like, why am I even here? In verse 5, it says, then he lay and he slept under a broom tree. In other words, he turned to sleep as a refuge and neglected things which could begin his return 
to strength. And very often, Christian people suffering spiritual depression will stop reading their Bibles. They'll stop going to church. They'll stop fellowshipping with other believers, start sleeping all the time, and then stop reading their Bibles. Now in verse 9, it says, And then he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Spiritual depression, if it's unabated, can lead to isolation from everyone and everything. Even if in your body you're still here, but your mind and your heart no longer are. I know there are people depressed here this morning. If you love God, it's hard not to be at times. If you love God, you will go through this valley. It does come, and it's not an affliction that's just unique to you. It happens to a lot of people. But I want you to know something today, that many others have been where you are. Many others have had to pass through this valley of the shadow of death. Many others have had to go through this place where they'd rather die than live. Many others have been in the footsteps that you're in today, but they have gotten through and you will get through as well. You will get through. You will not be triumphed over. God will not allow you to be triumphed over because he has interwoven the very honor of his name in keeping you. And not only won't you be triumphed over, you will become a different person when you come through these dark places. There will be a compassion in your heart for the suffering that was never there before. There will be something of God inside of you that is not afraid of evil. There'll be something of God that has not worked on the mountaintop into your character. It's worked into you in the valley. In that place where you come to the recognition that without God, I can do nothing. But with God, I can do all things. There's something happens in that place. Let me set the record straight for those that are listening, because I know the question's in your heart now. Pastor Carter, have you ever gone through this? You better believe it. More than once have I gone through these valleys. More than once have I had darkness fall upon my heart and my shoulders for reasons I can't explain. I don't know, you just wake up with it. It's there in the morning, it doesn't go away. I've had it hit me on the street years ago on 51st, walking down 51st towards 8th to have a sudden despair come upon my heart in the midst of victory everywhere. We baptized a thousand people that year in this church only to find myself falling in a hole. And sometimes it lasts for days, sometimes it's longer. Every pastor who walks with God goes through this. Nobody's exempt from it. So don't think that we live on some kind of a spiritual plane that's not attainable to everybody else that's here. We're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. We all row in the same storm. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there's no test. That means temptation, but it means test. has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. Praise be to God. So you ask me the question this morning, how then will God help me get through this? How am I going to get through this? You know, for a lot of folks, it's just despair over past mistakes. Suddenly it's coming up into your heart again. It's despair over present circumstance. 
It's despair just over society in general. When you look around and, and say, God, we, we've come together, we've been praying, we've been storming heaven, and yet it seems to be getting worse everywhere around us in society. And the despair wants to grip at your heart. And the question comes, how, how will God get me through this? Well, firstly, he's using me and he's using others today to remind you that he's not abandoned you on any part of your journey. That's why people shook your hand. People said, it's good that you're here. It's good to know you. He's using people here today. That's why the, the Bible says in Hebrews, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves, especially as the day draws closer, especially as darkness begins to increase in the world, especially as things begin to spiral out of control and all hell starts breaking out around the world as nation rises against nation and ethnic culture against ethnic culture, just like Jesus said it would. Folks, listen to me. Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Don't neglect getting together. Don't neglect the body of Christ. Don't try to go it alone. Don't try to hide your struggle. Be open, be transparent. When somebody says, how are you doing? Tell them the truth of how you're doing. Say, I've had a hard month. Would you pray for me right now? Don't play a religious game. Don't think you have to put on your best costume and play the victorious Christian on Sunday morning. Be real in the house of God. Be real with one another. You're riding the top today. That means you, you're riding the mountaintop. That means you have the faith, the vision, the courage to pray for somebody who's struggling. But you might be in the valley tomorrow and the person you prayed for is going to be able to minister to you. It's so important that our fellowship be genuine now. It'd be real. It'd be bonded together in that bond of love where we bear, believe, we hope, we endure one for another as the scripture says we should. And secondly, in 1 Kings 19 verses 5 to 8, it says he slept under a broom tree suddenly an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. I, I, I love the broom tree because realis, realistically, that's a place of sleep where the devil's just trying to sweep you out of the kingdom of God. And he looked and there, there by his head was a cake baked on coals. And I'm thinking of John chapter 21, where the disciples were discouraged. They didn't know what to do next. They headed out fishing and who's there on the shore? Who's baking cakes for them? Who's providing for them? It's Christ himself and a jar of water, so he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back the second time, that means a messenger of God, and touched him and said, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Oreb, the Mount of God. It is Jesus who's been reminding you of the things that you've learned. The Bible says, when we need it, he will bring back to our remembrance the things that we've learned. You know, you feel like there's no hope, but suddenly you wake up in the middle of the night and a verse of scripture is there. There's, there's something there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No weapon formed against you can prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. I've given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Suddenly you find yourself waking up and these verses of scripture start rolling through your mind again. No matter how discouraged you are. Jesus has been reminding you. He has been standing beside you. He's been providing for your needs. And he brought you here today to listen to this word. 
In 1 Kings 19, verses 9 and 10, it says he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place, a place of isolation, a place where nobody can get me here, a place where I'm just going to shut myself away. I'm going to try to pretend that nothing's, nothing's happening around me. Nobody can touch me here. And he spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's Jesus who will ask you why you are in a place of such despair. And the interesting thing is that he's not offended if your answer is confusing. You see, one of the things about depression or despair is that you start thinking wrong. You start thinking wrong about yourself. You think wrong about God. You think wrong about your future. And you think wrong about other people. And you think wrong about the hopelessness of the situation. Elijah said, I'm, I'm so zealous. They've killed your prophets with the sword. They've torn down your altars. And I'm the only one left. Well, that wasn't true. There were 7,000 more God had reserved in Israel. And they seek to take my life. Well, they were not seeking his life. It was Jezebel, a wicked queen, wasn't they? The people were not seeking to take his life. No, you know, you can, get, you can get in depression to that point where everybody's against me. You know, have you ever been there? You ever, you ever, you got to the point where you just don't trust anybody anymore. You don't trust anybody on the subway, which is probably a wise thing to do. But it, it actually translates to the point where you don't trust anybody in the church. You come in and shaking everybody's hands like this, you know? Good to see you, brother. Everybody's after me. Everybody wants something from me. Everybody's trying to take my life. And, and he's confused in his thinking. And depression produces confusion. It does. Always has. It always will. I love the fact that when God comes to Elijah, he is not offended by his confusion. And neither is Christ offended by yours. If you've, if you've embraced a wrong view of your future, if, you've, if you've, you've gotten confused, he's not offended by that in your life. He's not going to walk away from you because you've come to some wrong answers about your situation. And then in verses 11 and 12, he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not on the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, but after the fire, a small, still voice. I love this passage of scripture because it shows me that although God is all powerful and he could deliver us any way he chooses, he could split the mountains. He could open any prison door. He could send fire down, which is what Elijah had become accustomed to. He could send an earthquake. He could shake every place. He could do it any way he wants because he is God, but because he chooses to use the greatest weapon of all that will draw you and I out of a place of despair. In that weapon is the tenderness of God. I love it. Now I understand why David the, David the king said, it's your gentleness hath made me great. God, if, if you would have dealt with me the way I deserved over the years, I wouldn't be standing. If you took your spirit from me, I, all of us would be reprobates almost in, immediately. If God took his Holy Spirit from you, could you imagine what you would be going out of these doors? He endures our failings. He, he walks with us in our struggles. He doesn't abandon us in our confusion. He is a gentle savior. Thank God for his gentleness. 
He will not allow you to be burdened beyond what you can bear. It's amazing. And so how does he pull Elijah out of this moment of weakness in his life, this moment of confusion, this moment of darkness and despair, this moment where a great prophet of God wanted to die? He knew suicide was wrong, so he asked God to kill him. Really, that's what he did. You see, with Elijah, it had always been about crowds, conflict, fire. It had always been about bringing the nation back to God. It had always, he had a grand vision of his life and of the purposes of God and what God was able to do. And when that vision didn't fully manifest itself, despair hit his heart. I love the fact, and I want you to see it. You have to see this. He, again, gives his excuse for why he's in this place. And now it's no longer about crowds. The rest of his life would be, at least initially, about three people. I love that. It doesn't, he doesn't send him back to Mount Carmel and said, rebuild the altar and I'll, I'll send another fire or go back to the city and challenge Jezebel or all of these things that he's used to doing as a prophet. But he says from this, I want you to get up. I want you to walk with me. I'm going to walk with you. You're going to anoint two people that are going to be secular leaders that are going to have a profound impact in the nation. And you're going to anoint one man who's going to take your place as a spiritual voice to the nation. It was now all about three people. And God was saying, in my opinion, to Elijah, I want you to touch their lives with the same tenderness that I have touched you with. Three people. I, I can picture Elijah at that point saying, I, I, could, I can do that. I can do that. I can touch the lives of three people. My question to you today, who are here and discouraged with what you see around you, can, can you believe God for three people? Can you believe that God will use you to touch three people in the next few years of your life, in the next season of your life? Can you believe that God will put three people before you? And I'm not talking just ordinary people, as, as, as precious as they are, but people who will actually make a difference in the future. People who will make a difference in the political arena. Somebody that will make a difference as a teacher, a nurse, an educator, uh, a godly mother, a godly father. Somebody who will be called of God at an altar somewhere and become a voice for God in the nation. Are, are you willing to realize that your part in the body of Christ is not lost. It's not gone. You have not forfeited anything. As a matter of fact, God was going to anoint three people through his life and he makes a phenomenal, in other words, all of these three people are going to be conquerors. All of them are going to be raising their hand against evil. All, all of these people are going to make a difference. And I really just want you to touch their lives and be an influence and anoint them. And for the first time in Eli Elijah's life, I see him becoming actually comfortable with people. You know, the mark of a prophet is they're generally not very comfortable with people. <laughs> Elijah never really was. People were just a confrontation between good and evil. That's, that, his whole life was kind of focused that way. And when he went to Elisha and put his mantle upon him and said, come and follow me. Elisha ran after him and said, please just let me go say goodbye to my house and my mom and my dad. There's, there's things I got. Now, ordinarily, 
Elijah would have said, if you're turning back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And he would have just kept on going. That's the kind of a man he was. And the scripture shows us that he, he went back and Elisha had to take his oxen. There's 12 of them. And he had to slaughter them and he had to boil them. He had to call together all his family, his friends. This thing probably took three weeks. There's a party. He's going, he's saying goodbye. And Elijah's kind of sitting there. And for the first time in his life, he's actually enjoying people. I don't think I'm stretching the scripture to say that. I, I see that because you know this man never would have done that before. But he has known what it is to be weak. He's known what it is to be touched by the tenderness of God. And something because of his place of despair has been worked into his character that wasn't there before. Paul the apostle, when he started out in his journey with God, he was absolutely intolerant. He was just as driven as a Christian as he had been before he came to Christ. Take, took a young man called Mark with him into a, and Paul's life was just crawling out from under one pile of rocks and heading for another. That's the way he, he lived. He was beaten and scarred and always in conflict. And Mark's probably just a teenager at this point. And Mark says, look, I've, I, I, Paul, all the best to you, man, but I've had enough of this. <laughs> and Mark takes off and Paul just says, worthless, useless young man unfit for the kingdom of God. And he's so adamant about it that he has a good friend, Barnabas, the son of consolation. He says, well, Barnabas, if you want to take him, you take him. I'm not taking him. And Barnabas and Paul split over it. A longstanding friendship comes to an end because Barnabas says, Paul, be reasonable. He's just young. He was afraid. We all get afraid from time. Now, Paul was just that, that the Elijah type in the body of Christ. Anybody turning back who's not fit for the kingdom of God. I know because I used to be like that when I was a young preacher. <laughs> For real. I grabbed a man at the altar one time and said, I can't stop drinking. I said, I did and you can. <laughs> you know what God does in his mercy? It takes you to a place where you can't. It takes you to a place where you say, God, I can't. And you thank God you don't run into somebody like yourself in those moments. And it's the tenderness of the Lord that comes into your life. And then you see Paul, if you, if you sequentially follow his writings, you see that tenderness coming into this man. At the end of his life, of course, he says to another disciple, bring Mark. He's now profitable for the ministry. Mark that wrote the gospel of Mark. That Paul wrote off, but God never wrote him off. And Timothy is a young man. He begins to disciple at the end of his life. And Timothy is fearful. And Paul just encourages this young man, don't be afraid. God's not given us a spirit of fear. Don't run, Timothy. God will give you strength and give you comfort. And he, he, he's a completely different man. Now, how do you think that happened? I think it happened because in the book of Acts, he said in Asia, we were pressed down above strength to the point where we despaired of life. We didn't think we were going to be able to make it. Apart from the strength of God, we couldn't get it through. I can't help but wonder in that moment that he not remember Mark. When Paul himself found himself in a place where he said, we're not going to make it. We're going to die if God doesn't intervene. And suddenly in our weakness, suddenly in our own struggles, in our trials, we look back and we remember others that we may not have been as kind with as we should have been. The hallmark of having walked with God all of your life is at the end of your life, it's going to produce a tenderness. You don't have all the answers. You don't have all the strength. 
You recognize that over the course of your journey, you failed, you faltered, you struggled. You had trials that you knew you couldn't get through and you needed a kind word from somebody. You needed the body of Christ. You needed somebody you could reach out to and say, would you just pray for me? Would you just pray for me? I don't know how to explain what I'm going through. There's no rational reason for it, but I'm in this place and would you pray? And suddenly you begin to realize that none of us can make this journey alone. You need me, I need you, we need each other. None of us can make this journey alone. And I thank God at the end of his life, it said in verse 21, it says, Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh and using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and he followed Elijah and became his servant, his friend. You remember the first thing, what is the first thing Elijah did when depression hit? He abandoned his friend. He abandoned the one that God had sent close to him to encourage him. A type of the Christian who abandons the body of Christ. But at the end, when God had rekindled him, recalled him, recommissioned him into something completely foreign to what he was used to, you see, again, he picks up a servant God gave him a friend. God gave him, and may God give us friends in the body of Jesus Christ, you and me. May God give us friends, all of us. We need friends in the body of Jesus Christ. None of us can walk this alone. Nobody, you can't and I can't, especially now. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves. And even so much more as the day approaches. Now, when Elijah heard the voice of God, this scripture says he, he came to the mouth of the cave, that place where he had found refuge as he saw it, that place of despair, a place of hopelessness. And he let God begin to speak to him again. And, and you know, the Lord will not give you more than you can handle. In a place of discouragement, he's not going to come and chastise you. He's not going to come and give you a, a commission that you can't even hope to fulfill. I love the fact that after all he had done in his life, the Lord calls him to anoint three people. And if you know the history, Elisha did more miracles than Elijah did. I want you just to pour your life into three people. I want you to bring three people to church in the next couple of years with you. I want you to call them. I want you to encourage that person. I want you to open the Bible and share some of the things that you have learned. I want you to be real with that person. I want you to lead them on the real path of Christian living as it's supposed to be. I want you to invest your life in three people. Phenomenal thought. You know, I'm not going to be in a pulpit forever. There's a day coming when, you know, my mind's going to fail worse than it already has. And, uh, <laughs> my body's going to give out and I'm just going to get old and you know, the crowds are not going to be there anymore. Nobody's just going to come to hear me speak any longer. It's just that, that day is coming. I'm a realist. I know that. But do I give up? Do I quit? What do I do? I start investing my life in people, individual people. I start, I find a young guy, a young lad, maybe 18, 19 years old. I don't know, just in the church that just looks a little down. He's a little, a bit of uh, help. And I, I start investing in people. See, I've always said, I'm a Christian first. Ministry is just what I do right now. But I'm a Christian. 
And so I, I want you to join with me and, and say, God, would you give me eyes for people? Would you give me eyes for somebody that I can encourage? Would you, would you give me uh, the courage to let you speak to me and recommission me again? And I want to pray for anybody who wants out of the cave and has the courage today to say, look, I'm just suffering with depression. I don't know why. I just am. And I just want to get out. God would not give me this message if that wasn't a problem here. And don't be too proud to admit your need. If you're suffering, you know, maybe you put on a good show and you got everybody around you convinced that you're the hottest game in town, but you know, and you're, you know, you know, at night when you sit on the edge of your bed, you know the tears you're crying. You know the thoughts that are in your mind. You know what you're going through. And so I'm going to invite you today. I wasn't going to do it this way earlier, but I, I'm going to invite you just to join with me at the front of this auditorium. And we're going to let God recommission you today. I'm talking about recommission you. Pull you out of despair. Give you a new future. Give you a new focus. Give you a new heart. Give you a new hope. We're going to stand up in the balcony. You can go to either exit, the main sanctuary. And just, I want you to come down here and then we're going to pray in just a moment. Just join these that are already making their way here. In the annex, if you could step between the screens, the same thing in North Jersey campus. God bless you. Just step forward. Just come, please. Those that are discouraged, suffering with depression, just come. Just come. There's no shame in this. Just come. Just come. Just go to either exit. We'll wait for you. Just come. We're not going to let the devil get advantage of us any longer. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. He's defeated at the cross. And we're not going to give him any place anymore. Thank God for you. Thank God. Just keep coming. Just join those that are coming. Just be honest with God. Because it's honesty. When Elijah stepped up, that's when the depression left. When he just stepped into the cave and, and God gave him just three little things to do. It pulled him out of depression. Let that be your testimony today. We'll worship for a couple minutes, then we'll pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You will not be overcome. You will not be triumphed over. You know, when we get to the point where we say, God, I... I can't, I can't go forward. The Lord says, okay, then let's you and I go forward together. And let me use you. Let me use you to just touch a few people. In Elijah's case, it was two kings and a prophet. Two people that would really make a difference in the world. And that can be our prayer. God, would you lead me to, would you lead me to somebody who will make a difference? Would you lead me to somebody who will go with you? the full distance that you have for the life. Would you, would you use me to touch them with your presence? And watch what he will do. Father, I, I lift these people up to you, Lord. These are your people, God. These are the sheep of your pastor, Lord. These, these are the ones you died for, Lord God. And you never called us to do something we can't do or be something we can't be. 
You called us to walk with you and to love you and to love people. That was the whole calling. And so I pray, Lord, for a renewed joy. I pray for a renewed love of life. I pray, God, for just a, a renewed sense of purpose in every heart, in every life. Lord, you said the anointing would open prison doors and set captives free. So I pray today for those that have been captivated by despair that they would truly, truly be set free by the power of God. I ask you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you break the bonds of depression, break all of the lies that come with it, all of the struggles that try to magnify it and make it deeper than it is. I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, for a new song, a new heart, a new step, Lord, for every person that's at this altar in, in the annex in North Jersey, here in New York City, and at home online. I ask for just a new song, a new strength, God, that only you can give. Father, you are the one who breaks the yoke, God Almighty. Lord, these are your people. This is your, this is your solution to this generation, God. This is it, Lord. There's no other plan but us. Help us, God, to recognize the needs of each other, to be tender. Father, I thank you for it with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Mission 316, bringing you closer to the Word.